60% of people want more freedom over the hours that they work for businesses. They want things like a four day working week. If your business hasn't already thought about how you can deliver things like the four day week, now is the time to start, especially if you're working in a talent competitive marketplace. In this week's episode, I'm going to be talking to a business leader who's executed the four day week within their business and who is winning while doing it and reaping the rewards for their business and also for their team members. My name is Andrew Ball. I'm the author of Monsters of Team Performance and I'll be your host and guide on this journey towards a brave new team. If you haven't already done so, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening today so you never miss an episode again. Welcome to Brave New Team, the podcast that helps business leaders and their teams meet the huge challenges of our brave new world. Here's your host, Andrew Bull. So welcome to the first episode of Brave New Team. I'm joined by Andrew Rose, who's been brave enough to be our first guest on the show. Thanks for doing that, Andrew. Really appreciate you joining us today. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, what about your business? Yep. So my name's yes, Andrew Rose. I'm the co-director and co-owner of AKA Case Management. So we are a specialist or brain and a complex injury case management company. And we cover the sort of the middle of the country is the best way to describe it. So our head office is in Nottingham. We have case managers in Nottingham, Birmingham, Sheffield, Manchester region. So hence the, the description of the middle of the, the middle of the country. Um, and I suppose what, what we do, I think the easiest way of describing what we do as a service is that we support people with yeah, brain and complex injury in the community to try and rebuild their lives after either an accident, maybe a birth injury and yeah, a, a catastrophic event in their lives. So we assess all of their needs and then basically project manage their lives. So we're involved in getting in therapy teams, looking at accommodation, looking at support, care, um, everything, any need someone has, and we try and help support them to regain their life as much as they can. Wow, what a powerful mission and transformation that you help people with. So let's move on to the first part of the show. And in this first part, I ask people, what secret don't people know about you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not necessarily going to secret about me, but more, I suppose, about I guess what what in sort of informed or what kind of helped me on the kind of the path that I've I've gone. There's, there's nothing massively secret about me or or massively kind of inspirational out there. So it was more the meeting of and working with a truly inspirational neuropsychologist called David Manchester, who introduced me to motivational interviewing, which is a kind of a, a therapeutic counselling technique that just sang to me, that aligned with my natural skills and my beliefs and my values. So it's about building a, a therapeutic relationship with someone and the importance of that and the importance of basically, and this actually came from a study done many years ago in the 80s when they were 
actually this technique was developed when they were trying to find which method to treat depression was the best. So whether it was medication, whether it was talking therapies, whether it was lots of different things. So they did this big study, loads of different measures. And one of the things they also happened to measure was whether you liked your therapist. And what they found was the only thing that changed outcomes was whether you liked your therapist, not whether it was the antidepressant you were on, not whether it was a talking therapy. It was, do you like the person you're seeing and speaking to? And when I heard that, I just went, well, of course. Why would you not listen to someone that you liked? You know, who, who of us goes to speak to someone we hate for advice? You know, we go to the people we like and we're, we're likely to, you know, listen to them and, and believe what they're telling us. And that's the kind of the foundation of, of motivational interviewing. So building that alliance and, and walking alongside and, and going alongside. So you're directing someone's journey and it's about the use of language and it's about, the, about eliciting language in individuals so that they change their own behaviour because people change their own behaviour other people don't change someone else's behavior so the introduction to the of that to me and to to david because he throughout my my career has just been inspirational and has yeah just, just been an amazing individual so yeah that was that was the big thing for me and the big changing point i think in my in my professional career awesome that's interesting to hear about how being liked as a therapist is so important how in that context when you're serving someone else it actually becomes more more important and, and it, it makes sense doesn't it yeah you want to listen and engage with someone that you have some kind of affinity with and a kind of human connection with as well in the way that friendships often develop is that you share something you share a moment of vulnerability right you go on that little dance of sharing a bit more about yourself with someone so I'm just wondering, how does that work in when you're getting someone to like you? Do you need to open up a little bit? There's a balance because it's about being professional. But I think people need to know you're a human being. But the skill, there are certain skills in motivational interviewing in terms of the use of reflective listening, the use of, and one of the things you actually mentioned there, the dance. It's about dancing with someone. It's about not fighting with them. So if you're working, so my my background particularly is working with people with challenging to extreme challenging behavior and you know early on in my career I'd have people who would sort of look at me and there's me with my you know posh southern accent and I'm a scrawny little thing and I started working in the north of Manchester working with some you know yeah individuals who had had a very different lifestyle to me and I think some people looked at me and kind of went well they're not going to work with you because there's, there's no there's no connection there at all but I was able to show that I would listen to them and and actually kind of handing back to them saying, here you go, here is evidence that I've listened to you. So it's again that use of that language and it's giving back and sh- truly showing that you've listened to someone said. So it's about, yes, using ref- reflective language and you can do that in, in different ways. And then in motivational intern, you you develop those those kind of skills. But that's around the basis of building that that relationship and also trust and predictability. I I always, you know, when I do training in brain injury, one of the examples I give is I used to work with one of my first clients. I used to see him on a Thursday afternoon at two o'clock. I was always there whether he wanted to see me or not, whether he was there, I was always there. 
And then one day there was an accident on the M60 and I was just stuck in my car and we're pre having kind of hands-free mobile phones and that thing. So I can just hear my phone ringing in the back of my car, but can't answer it. And literally just ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. And I eventually got to a point where I could got off the motorway and was able to stop and so I could ring him and, and, and listen to some of the messages. And I won't say exactly what he said because it was rather colourful language, but was started off very kind of colourfully insulting me and everything. And then one of the messages said, are you okay? You're always here. So I rang him and said, I'm on my way. He didn't answer. I got to his house and we went back to abuse. But at that moment of going, that message saying, are you okay? I just sort of know, I knew that I'm now probably one of the consistent things and predictable things in your life. Nothing else is, but I am. So although he was annoyed and everything else, there was a moment of concern because it's like going, but this guy's always here. This guy never, you know, never changes. He's just predictable. But what's going on? And that was, yeah, that was a kind of moment of going, yes, I'm in there. I've I've done this. I've I've got a relationship that matters to him, which was really good. The power of listening and building relationships is something that's really important. It's something that I've learned as well. As I've I've been on my journey of, of growth and personal development i've taken the time to actually really tune in to what someone's saying which isn't it's it's not always easy to do is it because there's always distractions around us you know when like you're you're you've got that balance of like trying to serve the person in the moment but also there's probably part of you that's thinking a little bit ahead to where you want to take the conversation perhaps so how do you manage that tension point well you have to be present when it's and you have to genuinely be listening is, is the truth but you know there's a, a wonderful kind of example of communication that William Miller, who's one of the founders of MI, gave a, a talk that I went to once. And he gave this example of a conversation between a husband and a wife. And the husband goes, oh, I'm just popping to the pub for a drink. And so what the wife kind of hears is he's just popping to the pub for a drink, one drink. What the husband actually meant was, I'm going to the pub, I'm going to go for a few drinks, don't know how many, don't know when I'll be back, but that's what I'm going for. So then, you know, the rest of the story and where it goes. And it's just so with MI, it's about that checking in. It's about checking in at that point of going, right, so I've just heard you say you're just popping. It. So you're are you going to be back in half an hour or, you know, whatever. So it's just that closing those those gaps in the communication where we can make assumptions and assumptions can be wrong, either by the person delivering the message or the person hearing the message. So it's just making sure that those missteps, those miscommunications don't occur. Ambiguity can be challenging, can't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also, the beauty of it for me is you you get feedback from the person you're speaking to really quickly if you get it wrong. So if you're having a conversation with someone and, and if they're in a heightened state and you give a reflection back that's wrong, they don't just politely carry on talking and going oh that's okay he hasn't heard they tell you really no that's not what i said if you're lucky that's just what they do but you know sometimes it can be can be worse which gives you that the apology you know the chance to go oh i'm really sorry i i didn't i obviously didn't understand what you said please can you tell me again and it just gives you that chance so what you're doing that's where the dance comes in so you're you're doing that dance with someone so instead of having resistance you're you know 
you're kind of shadow boxing you're you're trying to avoid the punches and you're and you're dancing at the dance so you're not raising conflict which is traditionally what traditional methods would do because it's about you going in and you're telling someone what they need to do it's like going well what's the point of going in you go if i go into a physiotherapist i've torn a calf muscle and if i'm not interested in what they're going to do if i don't have the motivation to do it they can be the best physiotherapist in the world but i'm not going to do what they say so it's about finding out you know what is going to work and what are you going to follow what are you going to do it's a yeah it's about finding that individual's motivation and would you say that these skills of listening and tapping into someone's personal motivation and what's driving them and what their roadblocks are do you think this is a transferable thing outside your unique arena do you think if you're a business leader or a manager who needs to help their team members move forward these kind of skills that you've been talking about are ones they can use as well absolutely so you know these so motivational interviewing was first developed in from kind of working with people with alcohol dependency it's used in you know absolutely loads of domains and absolutely it is it is important and valuable to use i think in any sphere of life and it is there are you know with motivational interviewing there are if you do the whole array there are some very set skills and i wouldn't advocate kind of necessarily doing them strictly if you're doing that because it could become annoying and you'd say one of the thing one of the skills is knowing when to use the skills and when not to so if if you were having a conversation with me if we were going out for a drink you've had a bad day or something and we go out for a drink and i just reflect back everything that you say very quickly you're going to want to throw your drink over me so i'll give you an example one day i went out or one evening i went out was having a rubbish time in a relationship a rubbish time in work and i went out for a drink with david manchester and i started the evening by going don't you dare reflective listen to me tonight tonight i just need you to tell me that i'm right that the world's rubbish and that will make me feel better not trying to get me to fix it that's just what i need and he laughed and went we'll have a good night yeah so it's yeah, part of the skill is knowing when to use it 100 percent. you've got to understand the context that you're in and the appropriateness of that and the context of the relationship that you're in at that moment in time i suppose because there might be times when you have more of that kind of motivational interviewing thing when you're talking with a friend and helping them perhaps but then when you're down the pub as you say you don't want to be doing that because that's a bit annoying all right so that's great advice it's really interesting that we actually went into this area of a conversation because it wasn't something we discussed really before the episode but i think it's super valuable actually for leaders and executives and people who just want to be able to help other people through the power of conversation i think listening and conversation could be absolutely so powerful for us as human beings because sometimes right now we all so remote and disconnected for each other so those those moments when we can come together and people can actually understand and see us as a human being not just as a number i think it's really important and really valuable so thanks for sharing that andrew pleasure let's move forward into the next question which is where i ask leaders who come on the show the brave new team to share an idea that will help leaders build a brave new team what's your big idea that's going to help to do this andrew 
So the big idea that we we started at AKA Case Management in June is we've commenced a trial of the four-day week. So we're part of the four-day week global trial. It was something that my co-director Dawn and I had talked about in terms of we've we're passionate about well-being and we're passionate about our staff and and genuinely believing that if we if we look after our staff if we care for our staff and we we actually do things to do that we don't just say we care about you and we but then expect them to work every hour under the sun of things so that was something that was really important to us and when we we complete an mbo of the company just a year and a few months ago and so that was a real focus for us and the four day week was one of the conversations that we had and sort of thought okay that's that's a that's a an audacious goal that we'll get that we'll get to in the future and earlier in the year we saw the four day week global trial and I think in other places I've said that we had a 30 second conversation actually it wasn't it was probably more like a two second conversation in terms of should we do this which we went yes let's do this and then we went after committing to it how are we going to do this and along that journey we've had you know a few kind of moments and wobbles of just going what on earth well I think mainly probably me going what on earth are we doing how on earth is this going to work are we going to ruin this ruin the business are we going to you know wreck something we've only just taken over you know, successful business that's been running for 20 years. But then coming around and just looking at all of the information, all of the data and just sort of going, no, we can do this and we can make this genuinely work and we can we can make a difference to the lives that of the people that work for us, with us, and give them time back to have and live their lives. And so the, the, the essence of the, the four-day week for people aren't aware, it's that it's 100% pay for 80% hours and 100% productivity. I think when we set out, I can honestly say that productivity wasn't a focus of ours. As long as the business runs and is running well enough that we can look after our employees well, that we can pay them you know, competitive salaries and that that financial aspect is taken off their their you know their worry table then that's not important to us it's not what drives Dawn or I so it was really about the well-being so we we just talked amongst the team as we've gone on gone right okay how do we do this this is what we're going to do they all knew because we'd already had conversations saying this is what we'd like to get to in the future the day that we kind of announced that we'd signed up to it I think pretty much everyone was just ecstatic and then i think then then the fear factors kind of rolled in a few days afterwards going okay how are we going to do this though so andrew what things have you done then to make the four-day week work for your team what tips have you found and steps have you found that you needed to make it work so we've done lots of kind of productivity masterclasses in terms of looking at efficiency and productivity and and when you actually look at your your kind of how you work in a five day week, you very quickly discover that we have some really bad habits when it comes to efficiency. So, you know, email has become a tool that it was never designed to be. Email has become this behemoth that is 
I have sent an email to you, Andrew. You have received it and you will now do what I want you to do. That's not what it was designed for. And we need to change that behavior. So one of the things we've you know talked about is that emails are shut down when you're not working on them. You know, when you when it's not your priority to be in your email, you're not in it. So you close it. If you're doing a report, if you're doing a complex report, shut everything else down and just concentrate on your report. Phone goes off because then that will allow you to properly concentrate. The the statistics and research about around distraction are that I think it's something like every time you even notice a notification pop up in the corner of your screen, don't even go into the email, then you will lose between kind of five and twenty minutes worth of productivity before you get back to what you're actually doing. You've not even gone into the email yet and, and open that can of worms around how, how much you get distracted. So you know the, the statistics are shocking. Um and the fact that basically we don't, you know, no one multitasks. So apologies to all women out there that think it's it's just us useless men that can't. We we actually just task switch. So yes, we can switch very quickly between tasks, but we lose time every time that we do that. So the the amount you gain by just concentrating on one thing and just monotasking is unbelievable. And I think the importance of of giving people the permission to do that is kind of extraordinary because prior to that I think everyone used to feel that you know we all had to be immediately responsive and that's that's not the case even in our our world where we are supporting people with you know complex needs everybody in their in in their lives has a role to play we're not the only solution we're not an emergency service and also if there is an emergency <coughs> you shouldn't be sending it in an email. You know, if if there really is an emergency, we have these funny things called phones. Pick it up and use it. And that also should be a real call to arms in terms of someone's ringing me. Actually, people don't usually ring me. Therefore, I know that's important. So I'm, you know, I'm more likely to attend and respond to that. So it's really changing that the 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 permissions the communication the behavior in the team but so we've had those discussions of how we're going to do this here's some information how would how do you want to use it so we've tried to put together a almost like a a productivity kind of toolkit and knowing that some people will 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 like some things they won't like others some people i know when a clinical supervisor said to me many years ago about switching off my emails when I wasn't working on them and I think that's a brilliant idea I'm going to do that I'm just going to check my emails through it three times a day and it took me about six months to do it because it put the fear of God into me because I was working with really complex people and and I thought no but 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 really important stuff I might miss something and so I that behavior change for me was was really hard so I think all of us have as a as a group having that permission to do it has had a massive has made a massive difference in terms of doing that and then there's there's lots of other things as well. So the I think the biggest and most important thing is about working smart in terms of resting, in terms of allowing yourself to have breaks. So we have said to people, right, the most important thing you do is to look at your diaries. And the first thing you do is you plan in your breaks. Those are your non-negotiables, your non-negotiable things in your day 
that will keep you well. So to ensure that we you do stop because actually, you know, again, research, if you look at concentration on, on you know, how long we are able to concentrate for, it's scary. So I think it's you know, usually ranges between about six minutes to kind of 15 if you're a, you know, amazing individual. So, you know, being able to plan and be able to kind of clear everything so you're focused, so clearing your desk, clearing your environment to focus, but then also the importance of getting up, moving, hydration food all of those things as well that will actually make you more efficient and more productive it's not just trying to slog it out for eight hours non-stop and doing that and then also diary management in terms of so there's a parkinson's law which talks about that a task will take you as long as the space that you have to do it so if you have a report to write that will actually take you 45 minutes and you have a two hour gap in your day in your diary that report will take you two hours because you'll just procrastinate enough time and it will just fill and equally then if you are realistic with the amount of time something will take you are likely to complete it in that that time as well so the same applies to meetings you know if you have an hour-long meeting you will take an hour to have that meeting because you'll fill it with some the niceties of life or chatting or just going around the houses and maybe not being that efficient so again yeah we've made efficiencies in meetings and you know meetings have to have an agenda you have to have outcomes that you want to achieve from the meeting set out prior to going into the meeting so we used to have what we used to call an operations meeting that used to be two hours long at least that we used to do once a month and we just stopped it we just stopped doing it we're not going to do that anymore because we don't think it's efficient. So we've now gone, right, so what are we going to do? And we've planned in that, because some of those things actually weren't meeting things. They were just work. They were like dashboards. Well, we can check those. And if there's any problems with the dashboards, then we'll meet about them. But why are we meeting about a dashboard if there's no problem? So thank you, Andrew, for sharing about how your team is approaching the four-day week and all those fantastic tips that other leaders can use for making the four-day week work for them. When will you find out if the four-day week has worked for you? So we've already completed our first month and all of our stats absolutely show that it has. And it was a it was a strange month for us kind of anyway. We had a, a big conference where virtually our entire team went to, which was two days. We had the Jubilee weekend. So we really didn't think that productivity would kind of remain the same and it and it did so we were stunned and but more importantly our team are loving it and all the evidence of what they're actually doing with their day off is being fantastic and in fact i think the person that's been least kind of efficient or, or useful is me in kind of using that that day but that's something so that's something i need to work on but that's that's a big a bit another big focus that we've talked about as a team of going what are you doing with your day off and ensuring that people are doing things for them and not sneakily uh behind behind everyone's back yeah yeah and also not falling into the, the kind of the trap of doing things that other people want them to do so genuinely doing things for them and for their growth well-being awesome yeah no well that's yeah yeah because it's important to be empowered and follow pursuits that we want to do 
because that's really how to unlock contentment and one's true motivation in life. I agree. So let me ask you the next question then, Andrew. What's the secret ingredient of your team's success? What is it that drives your team forward? I think it's trust. We truly trust each other. And that's a, that's a two-way relationship. I think there's, there's safety. We, we listen to people and we, we truly listen to people and we act on what they tell us and we respond and we respect them. That's simple but powerful. Trust is really important, isn't it? And it's a like foundation block of all our relationships really because if you if you don't have that trust it's hard to agree to do something together or know that what someone says they're going to do they're going to follow through with it and i suppose in the back of our minds if we're always doubting you know someone following through or doing what they said then it's really hard to have that authentic truthful relationship with them and you end up with this barrier where you're like oh yeah you know I know that guy, he's saying that, but I know he won't do it. And then that's that's a really awful way to try and build any relationship, really. So that's cool. What's one of your biggest lessons regarding teams and leadership? I think this goes back to where we started. It's the importance of listening, genuinely listening, showing and feeding back that you're listening and and respecting everybody and treating everybody an expert in their role because they are they're they're their own expert and so that's also you know different for every individual so it's about understanding that people will do things differently and you need to you know trust them to do that and have that relationship where you can trust someone to do their job because then they're more likely to be open and honest when they're struggling or they need support and and be able to give that feedback when they are and and you know unfortunately sometimes when things don't work with individuals i also think it makes it easier to have those conversations and usually it's it's those individuals actually saying actually i don't i don't think this is for me rather than having to performance manage people i think if you you start from a basis of trust and you start from the basis of everyone you know is able to do it and then you you can if you look what frameworks potentially you need to provide someone with to to achieve something and do something cool i love it love it looking for the best in people and believing in people is a powerful thing because expectation is powerful isn't it if we have positive expectations about people then we provide the support and resources, as you're saying, to help them meet those expectations. Whereas if we start out with a negative, oh, these people can't do it, they're always going to let me down, then you think, oh, I can't be bothered to provide them with the right training and right tools because they're just going to waste them. I'm not going to invest my time, my personal time in them. So yeah, having that positive expectation belief is is very powerful. Do you keep your team empowered by giving them training then and letting them self-select their own training and their, and some of their own projects at work? Yeah, absolutely. So all of our employed staff have training budgets and can use those, those as they choose. We also try and you know partner with people at times and doing bringing in training and look at kind of different things. And we we do things collectively as well. And as I said, it, it's about empowering people in their own role. So for our case managers, if we, so we had a meeting the other week 
and one of our new people had come a new had a new person come into the company he'd looked at one of our documents and said i don't i don't understand why you do this and could you do it this way instead and we went great could you look put that together as a proposal we'll take it to the next clinical meeting and we'll discuss it as a group and if everyone's happy then we'll we'll make those changes which is exactly what we did so it's not you know me as a director going no well, we're going to do it this way it's about the people who do the jobs and that's what i mean by they're the, they're their experts that would be like me trying to tell the admin team how to do their role i don't do their job so there's no point me trying to pretend that i know how to do their job better than they do i don't that takes a lot of courage for leaders like yourself to be like that and to accept your own limitations or your where your strengths and weaknesses lie and to have the courage to feel okay that you're not perfect or awesome at everything and other people are more awesome at other things. And I think sometimes, you know, when we feel a bit insecure, you know, we try and paper over that stuff by pretending we're really good at everything and then we end up stamping on other people's feet and pushing them out of the areas which they're good at. So I think that's great that, uh, that that's what you do. Let's wrap up now. And I'd like to wrap up by asking, where can people connect with you, Andrew? They can connect with me on LinkedIn. They can also go to our website, which is aka.casemanagement.com. But yeah, LinkedIn is the best place to connect. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show today. You've been a fantastic guest and you've shared such uh, amazing value about the four-day week and motivational interviews. I loved it. So thank you, Andrew. Thank you. My thanks to Andrew Rose for being such a great guest today. I really enjoyed learning about his perspective on listening and conversations with other people. And I think as business leaders and team leaders, learning to listen can be such a powerful thing to do. Listening to Andrew also opened my eyes to the potential of a four-day week. And it made me realise that actually cutting hours doesn't mean cutting down on productivity or cutting down on success, it can be the complete opposite. It can actually help your team be more successful. So it's certainly something I'm going to be actively exploring as I grow and develop my business. And I'm convinced that you should do the same too. If you haven't already done so, please check out my book, Monsters of Team Performance, which is available on Amazon. Now, if you haven't already done so, hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode again. And all I've got left to say is thanks for being here. Have courage. Own your future. Take action.